0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me is Beware of Cheap Imitations, Duncan Castles, and uh, today we have a packed pod for you, full of news uh, on Manchester United, Chelsea, Uh, we've got some stuff on Derby County, Kylian Mbappe, as well as of course, it being the second pod of the week, the Donkey Award, which I think you'll find very amusing and intriguing in its content. Duncan will start with Manchester United and, of course, their dramatic second half comeback against Atalanta uh, in the Champions League this week, which many hailed as a throwback to the uh, great days of Sir Alex Ferguson, in the sense that um, the winner came very late on from Cristiano Ronaldo. However, um, as we have discussed on the pod previously, there remains concern amongst the hierarchy about the fact that the team is underperforming and that Olegun Gunnar Solskjaer, as coach, is not necessarily getting the best out of the resources that have been placed at his disposal. Um, I suppose, Duncan, one of the questions that... Uh, We always ask on the podcast because we understand the way football works is um, if you're going to sack your manager, you have to have a plan in place as to who you're going to bring in. There don't appear to be very many obvious candidates to replace Solskjaer, but it is definitely the case that uh, with the game against Liverpool coming up on Sunday of this weekend... That it's a. I think the feeling is the papering over the cracks with these kind of rescue performances, as it was described to me by a source at United, um, because it's happened a few times already uh, this season. And Solskjaer does, and you mentioned this uh, earlier this week, that Solskjaer does have a habit of um, seeing his team pull a performance out of the bag when everything looks lost uh, and therefore taking the pressure off of himself temporarily, only for then it to be replaced uh, like it has been so many times. Um, I mean, You'll have to go back to last weekend and the defeat to Leicester City. So you have some information about Antonio Conte, who would be one of the candidates Potentially to replace Solskjaer.
1: Yeah, look, you, you you mentioned going back to the glory days of Sir Alex Ferguson. I, I don't think Sir Alex Ferguson would have seen much glory in in going two 0 down at half time to Atalanta at Old Trafford, and Atalanta side that were missing five first team regulars um, who could have scored more goals, um, being dependent on David De Gea uh, pulling off a double save in the second half to uh, leave them in a position where they could have that turnaround victory. Uh, And also Atalanta lost their best defender at halftime through injury. This um, exciting, thrilling, um, feel good uh, in the sense of turnaround victories like that are feel good. But what you refer to there is the more fundamental issue that... The Glazers, as we've been saying for several weeks, are not impressed that they've spent this amount of money in the transfer window, um, bringing in a world-class central defender, Rafael Varane, that Solskjaer had asked for, bringing in Jaden Sancho, who he'd wanted for over a year um, with, for a, a guaranteed fee of €85 million, Euros and and Sancho yet to play 90 minutes in the Premier League, yet to play 90 minutes in the Champions League. Um still basically a a reserve at at Manchester United. And then on top of that, Cristiano Ronaldo coming in and being in a situation where um, you look not just over the course of this season, but back into last season, um, one clean sheet in 20 matches uh, with this defence, which is now one of the most expensive in world football, nine wins in 21 games. Um, one of only two squads in the history of football that have had over a billion euros of transfer fees committed to constructing them. Um, They feel that what is being provided on the pitch is not uh, fitting to the resource they've put into the squad. And, And as you mentioned, coming from behind against Atalanta doesn't convince them that, uh, that they're mistaken in that thinking. So the pressure remains on Solskjaer. As we said in the last podcast, this isn't just from the boardroom. There are a number of players in the dressing room who have the same thinking, which is they're not being coached to the level they expect at a club of this standard who are looking to win the Premier League, who are looking to win the Champions League. Um, There has been some open dissent towards Solskjaer, but there's a general feeling within a number of the players that they are being held back by their coaching. and I I think there was an interesting uh, public comment which relates to that from Bruno Fernandes uh, in the aftermath of the Atalanta game where he talked positively to a certain extent about Uligun or Solskjaer, but added an important caveat. And he said in an interview with the Brazilian uh, media, we believe in our coach and our staff. We need to do what the coach tells us because our coach is the maximum exponent of what we must respect. He's been here for three years and we've done good things. It's true that we haven't won anything up to now. The team has shown it has grown a lot. We have a lot to improve on and the coach himself also knows there has to be some improvement at his end. So, you know, there's there's a, a reflection of carefully phrased, but still saying the coach needs to improve. And, and that is a general feeling amongst a number of the players, significant players in Manchester United camp. So, yes, who do you replace them with? And and yes, I think there are two obvious candidates um, in terms of coaches who have achieved at the top level of the game who are out of work uh, and would be available to Manchester United to secure without paying compensation fees. One is Zindin Zidane and the other is Antonio Conte. Um, Conte's position, uh, I'm told, is that he is interested in the Manchester United job but not without restriction, um, as we've reported on this podcast for a long time, going back to his his period at Chelsea, and we broke the stories of of his discontent at Chelsea, um, the war he got into with Marina Granovskaya and Roman Abramovich over recruitment, which was driven by an expectation on Chelsea's part that he should be winning the Champions League, and, Anto- and Antonio Conte's. Argument was the squad is not good enough to win the Champions League. If you want me to do that, you have got to give me improvements. Now, Antonio Conti, when he chooses his next club, wants a club where he can win the Champions League. He wants to demonstrate, he's wanted to do it for a long time, that he is one of the very best coaches in world football. And to do that, he knows he has to win the Champions League. So, Manchester United are interesting because of the quality of squad they've got, because of their status, because of the resource that is behind them, but he would want a lot of things um organized to help him he would want you know basically unwavering support from the glazers and from the club infrastructure he'd want to set out tactics as he feels are correct to achieve the aims of winning the premier league and the champions league wouldn't want to be bound by ideas of Manchester United DNA and, and playing the United way, he, w- he would want to be able to choose the most effective route to securing titles. Uh, he would want strong buy-in from the players, he'd want uh, the ability to push them hard and to be supported by the club in pushing them hard. Um, he'd want to operate in many ways uh, similar to how Jose Mourinho wanted to operate and and which ended in such tumult at United with the club unhappy with his his behaviour and unhappy with the way he was pushing the players and uh, and switching radically in direction towards Solskjaer after that. So there would be a, a, a significant discussion to be had between Conte and Manchester United before he would accept that job. Also emphasised to me by people close to Conte is that he does not like changing clubs Mid season, uh, training ground work is very important to him. He prepare prefers to have a full preseason in which to drill, and educate, and instruct his players. Um, he doesn't particularly want to take the risk of taking over someone else's failing work mid season and being judged on that immediately. It's not to say that he would not take a job mid-season if it was the right one if he felt the opportunity was so good and the timing was such that they were going to appoint another coach and uh and the chance would fall away from him it, it's not that it would be a blanket refusal on, on taking over mid-season but it makes it more difficult for him so the question comes if if Conte is is one of those two obvious choices have Manchester United been in contact with them have they sounded them out over the position, the guidance I have is that there has yet been no contact with Antonio Conte. So although the Glazers are uncertain and unhappy with what they see on the pitch and the the direction of travel of this um, team that they've invested heavily in, they haven't got to the stage of um, putting feelers out to one of the lead candidates um, to see if he would be ready to replace them now, which... Suggests that Solskjaer has a little bit of time on his side. However, um, he is in the midst of a run of fixtures where he's going to need to have at least one more of those those performances that we've, we mentioned on the podcast. Those kind of turnaround performances of pulling out a, a good result against opponents he's not expected to um, because he's playing Liverpool at home. Uh, this weekend with Liverpool in in very very strong form and uh, and I think a fear there that that, that could be uh, an embarrassing outcome the kind of embarrassing outcome that Paul Scholes was talking about in his assessment of Manchester United's performance against Atalanta in um, in midweek in which he said you know if 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 they'd been playing a stronger side than Atalanta it could have been four five nil at half time then they played Tottenham play. at uh, Atalanta again away, Manchester City. Um, Watford is the easiest fixture on paper they have over the next few weeks. Villarreal away, Villarreal, who, who comprehensively outplayed them at Old Trafford. The Champions League ended up on, the, on the wrong end of a, of an undeserved defeat. And Chelsea and then Arsenal. It's, um, the task ahead of Solskjaer is significant and, uh, look, I think some radical changes in the the quality and the way in which the team are playing are required uh, for him to get a lot of good results out of those matches.
0: I think one of the things we've learned, um, Duncan, in the last, I'd say, five years at least anyway, is that there is an insularity um, about the Glazers with regards to who they employ and they are risk averse with taking a chance on uh, people that they have not worked with before. Um, and this appears to be the case now with the appointment of a successor to Edward Wood in that Richard Arnold is now heavily favoured with regards to replacing Edward Wood as CEO. And in doing so, um, the Glazers will have continuity in terms of uh the people at the head of football administration. But at the same time, uh, given that they haven't been successful in winning trophies, that also suggests that they're they're being more hopeful than they are ambitious.
1: I think I think the the executive role is a different one for them than than the coaching role. That they have gone outside the boundaries before, um in hiring von Kahl and Mourinho, they were their two appointments. Um David Moyes was Sir Alex Ferguson's appointment. Um when it comes to executives, they they want people that they trust and they've worked with for a long time. So the the, the fact that Richard Arnold is the is the designated replacement for um for Ed Woodward uh, certainly to take on those significant roles uh, that as you reported in the podcast a few weeks ago, there is an idea that they might place a front man, a voice um, in the formal chief executive role in order to uh, to keep Arnold away from the press and and to uh, to have you know a, a spokesman for the club who is is more acceptable. Look, they have a human shield. A human shield. (laughs) A human shield. Yes, and and (laughs) we also have to remember that Richard Arnold, not that long ago, described um, Ole Gunnar Solskjær's work at at Manchester United as phenomenal success. So he's he's in a slightly compromised position uh, if he's going to come in and at a time at which they they change manager because if, if he is appointed chief executive and does interviews, you can guarantee you'll be asked about what happened to that phenomenal success and um, what are you expecting of uh, of the replacement coach. Um, they, there are fundamental issues for them to resolve. And uh, I think that the general conclusion is they're not getting proper value for money out of the coaching staff they've been able to sell the story of cultural reboot going taking time to rebuild to get back to the top but now the squad is one in which there's an expectation that they should be ready to achieve at the top they are not achieving anything like that Um, they have had one convincing performance in the entire season the one against Leeds United ironically and, and I think this tells you a lot about the, the Solskjaer period in charge of Manchester United and the, and the misperception of it. Ironically, this is Solskjaer's best start to a Premier League campaign uh, in points terms of his of his uh, three-year reign. Four, and it's just 14 points from eight games. It's five points off, off the top of the table. That, that gives you an indication of how bad it's been at the start of the previous two seasons and how bad certain periods have been um, during his time and how you know perceptions of what he's done i think have been distorted by the depths he's taken the team to and and the kind of roller coaster of going to those depths and recovery and and the repeated belief that he is on a process on a path to progress which will eventually resolve itself into um into the success manchester united expect they have, again, you look at it dispassionately from the Glazers' point of view and they've been forced into spending a lot of money on players, huge expense on players, part of it driven by um, ardent fan protests to the extent that they they had the last um, Manchester United-Liverpool match postponed because of a, an invasion of Old Trafford. They could invest a fraction of the money they did, for example, on, on Jaden Sancho's transfer fee, as I say, a player who's not even um established himself in the first team lineup yet. Take a fraction of that money and spend it on recruiting a much better coach, manager than Solskjaer and and get much better value for money by doing that. So if they start thinking we're spending now, We need to spend on coaching staff because we're not getting value for money out of the coaching staff. That makes it difficult, again, for Solskjaer. Um, And it also opens up, we can then move beyond Zinedine Zidane, Antonio Conte, the managers who are out of work at present and uh, easily attainable. You can move beyond that to managers who are in work at the moment, where compensation packages uh, would have to be spent. To recruit them, and then you get someone like Brendan Rodgers, um, who is, has been wanted by Tottenham Hotspur, who's always mentioned when these top clubs are looking for coaches, and who would certainly be interested in taking that job on. Where Manchester United de- decided that he was the best option for the role, and I'm not saying here that he is the best option for the role, but what I am saying is someone like Rodgers would be attainable if the Glazers decided it was worth investing the money on paying out his contract at Leicester to get him in at Old
0: Trafford. One manager who has a mandate and certainly some sway, Duncan, is Thomas Tuchel, Big Tam, as we like to call him. Um, At Chelsea... And uh, it is our information that he has requested uh, from the club that they recruit a striker uh, in the January window. We're at that point in the year, uh, coming to the end of October, where clubs are compiling lists uh, in terms of positions and players that they want to acquire. Uh, this has been uh, been significantly influenced now as well by the fact that Romelu Lukaku will miss at least two games, but maybe as much as a month uh, in the coming weeks, uh, as well as um, Timo Werner being out as well. So Chelsea now have no recognised first-team strikers to play in the next few weeks uh, Obviously this has been aggravated By the fact that They allowed Olivier Giroud And Tammy Abraham To leave the club In the summer window um, Abraham was someone who took a wanted to retain um, But the player himself Looked at the situation And saw Lukaku coming in And decided that the best thing for his career was to leave and go elsewhere. And, of course, he joined Jose Mourinho at Roma. Um, From what I'm told, there is no definite shortlist which has been uh, formulated as yet. But you can see the point, can't you, that um, they've been heavily reliant on Lukaku in such a short space of time since he arrived back at the club three-second spell. Um, and now they, they, I think a realises that you, you can't perform at the level Both in Premier League and Champions League If you've only got that one option up front that you have to rely on And now that he's got an injured ankle They will have to try and compromise with different players playing up front
1: yeah, I think also when you one when you invest so heavily in Lukaku, in, in terms of transfer fee and, and salary, um, it becomes harder to bring two forwards in in, in in the summer window. But two, when you go to Lukaku is such a distinctive type of forward um, with a particular way of playing, um, and you lose and you you build your team around having him there and then you lose him for a certain period of time or even you running through the season and having to use Lukaku more than you would like to because you don't have a a like for like backup for him and that's something that Tuchel has mentioned that, that Lukaku has played too much football and, and um, uh, the, the the stresses of continually playing potentially contributed to this injury so it's logical then to find another center forward of a similar type to Lukaku or at least someone who can who can reasonably ably deputize for the the things that Lukaku does in the team so you have um, a backup and also someone to to rotate into certain games and switch within games Um, you, you say Tuchel didn't want to lose Abraham he didn't actually go out of his way to keep Abraham either and uh was quite explicit, as took all often is to be fair in his press conferences, in saying that if Abraham wants to stay at the club he has to earn uh his playing time. Um I can't guarantee him anything. And uh that came in a scenario in which Roma did pretty much everything possible in order to recruit Abraham because Mourinho wanted a striker of his type, um, wanted a change up front, needed a change up front. And, uh, and Abraham was judged to be the best available option in the market. So you, you have Tuchel doing very little to persuade Abraham to stay. Lukaku coming in, who was obviously going to be first choice for, for number nine for the season. And then on the other hand, A.S. Roma saying, how much money do you want? Um, you're central to our plans what can we do to assist your move? And eventually Abraham was was seduced into moving there. Um, and add to that the question marks over Timo Werner. So Timo Werner is never going to be a like-for-like like replacement for Lukaku and has struggled through his, his time at Chelsea as well. Um, there would have been a consideration that where, for example, a German club wanting to buy, bring... Uh, Werner back to German football for a reasonable transfer fee then Chelsea would need to sign another striker in January potentially but more likely next summer anyway um, so not a great surprise I think that Tuchel is now saying um, let's reinforce in that position we've got ourselves into uh, a good start in the Premier League, we have an opportunity to win the Premier League this season and um, we're defending our Champions League trophy. I've demonstrated my qualities as a manager, backed me by not just giving me Lukaku, but giving me another striker as well in, in this coming window.
0: One name I have heard mentioned, Duncan, is Mauro Accardi, who, um who is not short of um, issues at the <laughs> moment <laughs> regarding his personal life as well as his career. Um, Although I think the problem always is in these situations that um, when you have a a number one striker who will always start, uh, it's difficult to persuade another player to come in effectively to play second fiddle um, to, in this case, Lukaku. And uh, that it will be a a detriment in terms of the recruitment of a a new player? Well,
1: Icardi used to playing second fiddle at the moment. So at least the argument there can be, um, you're, you're further up the pecking order at Chelsea than you're going to be at Paris Saint-Germain. But yeah, you're right. Um, it it is a limitation when that amount of money has been invested in a, in a striker who is, um, you know, as we said at the time when Chelsea did the deal, the, the people representing Lukaku were describing him as a bond investment, a guaranteed return on on your investment in the player. He's expensive, but he will give you goals, and he will also help create goals for the team. So, Lukaku is the the unquestioned number one. Um, you have to find someone who's prepared to come and and be the the alternative to him, which. Given the money and given the um, lack of liquidity elsewhere in the European game, and given the status that Chelsea have as a football club, it makes it harder, but it doesn't certainly doesn't make it impossible.
0: Very true. Um, It'd be interesting to see because, uh, as we both know, uh, the January window uh, generally is dominated by clubs trying to buy goals. Um, through new strikers, and it is the hardest window to operate in um, for the reasons of it being a short window and also a very expensive one if you're going to splash out on players. Um, Best example being, of course, the uh, rather disastrous purchase of Fernando Torres by Chelsea from Liverpool. We have some news from you also from the championship. And that is that Derby County, their administrators um, have assured Wayne Rooney and his coaching staff that they have two very serious and credible offers to buy the club and that they should start to prepare plans for recruitment in January which, of course, has not been um, something that they've been able to do until now. Um, there is money available, apparently, um, potentially, for transfer fees and for contracts for new players. And they are looking for two strikers and an attacking white midfielder. Um Obviously, Derby have suffered the 12 point deduction for going into the administration, which has left them bottom of the division. But uh, their results have been relatively um, remarkable, <laughs> I suppose you could say, in the circumstances where they have only eight senior players available to select. Along with um Academy players as well. Um it's a very historic club, Duncan, and and it's been a bit of a sad tale really over the last couple of years. Um maybe, just maybe they're gonna turn the corner.
1: It's a it's a big task ahead of them. Uh, with that that points penalty. They're four four points from 13 games and uh uh Seven behind Cardiff City in terms of safety. So whoever takes that club on and is prepared to invest significant money and in, in transfers is it uh, is taking on a risk. Um, and look, I, I think it's hard to argue that Derby County um, did not deserve to be penalised for for the the moves that uh, Mel Morris made uh, in order to. Circumvent um, football league regulations, and uh, it's a significant task ahead of Wayne Rooney and his coaching staff to to try and keep them up, regardless of whether there's uh, there's going to be investment in the team rapidly and and quickly enough uh, to bring players in in January or not.
0: Well, sadly for Derby County, one player they won't be going for is Kylian Mbappé. Um, I think that may be just slightly out of their reach, uh, unless, of course, um, there's a benefactor out there who uh, we don't know about. But um, lots of posturing. A done benefactor
1: can... who's capable of of brain surgery in order to convince Kylian Mbappé that the next stage in his career <laughs> is League One.
0: So, so surgeon then. <laughs> <laughs> but there's been a lot of posturing between PSG and Mbappe and his mother with regards to a new contract at PSG. PSG continue to insist that they want him to stay, and they do, and they will not allow him to leave if it's at, at all possible. Obviously, we've reported in the pod many times. Uh, Real Madrid's um, concrete interest, as well as their belief that they already have the player sewn up, as it were, with regards to um, his recruitment next summer. Um, but Duncan, you have some more information with regards to what's been going on between his current club and the player.
1: Look, there's been a lot of noise from Paris Saint-Germain and a lot of stories that they, they have made Um, Mbappé a new contract offer Um, we saw the club president Nasser Al-Khalifi on the day that uh, Lionel Messi was presented as a Paris Saint-Germain player saying that Kylian Mbappé no longer had a choice Uh, in his future, it was inevitable that he would remain at Paris Saint-Germain because um, Nasser and uh, the Qatar riches that he uh, uses to try and turn PSG into Champions League winners had secured uh, the, the greatest attack of all time in his view in Neymar, um, Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe and what? how could the player elect to leave subsequent to that? Well, he hasn't signed a new contract yet. He hasn't committed to a new contract. Um, my information is that Despite the noises about record contract offers being put to Mbappe, there has been no formal offer since Messi's arrival of a new contract. And that isn't a great surprise to the people who are monitoring this situation in the sense that they expect Paris Saint-Germain to make an offer just before the January window. Uh, Why just before the January window? Because in January, Mbappe is free to sign a pre-contract with whichever club he would like to play for next season. Um, Real Madrid are still completely confident that Mbappe wants to come there and they're confident that they will be able to secure the player. So from Paris Saint-Germain's point of view, if you make an offer now, that gives Real Madrid a longer period of time to respond to it. They know the money on the table from Paris Saint-Germain and they can tailor their offer to Mbappe according to what Paris Saint-Germain are presenting him. So so their expectation is you, we won't see a formal offer to Mbappe from from PSG until uh December. Let's let's see if they're uh, correct on that. One thing I think that is important here is what's happening with the team, and um, you know it's early because they haven't played that many games together. But um, some statistical analyses seem to show that when you pair uh, Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar in the attack, the performance of Mbappe and the performance of the team is not as strong as when just two of those players are are together. In the attack, which I think underlines Mbappe's fears that Paris Saint-Germain isn't the right place for him to be at, at, at this next stage of the career, and that's that's the thing that's been driving him. The guidance I've had throughout this process is that Kylian Mbappe will not decide which club he wants to to move to next on the basis of money. He is not going to be bought by Paris Saint-Germain and by Qatar um, offering to make him the best played player of, of all time in football should they choose to go down that line. He already has a substantial salary. He knows wherever he goes, um, he will receive a substantial salary. He knows he has years left in the game to make money. The The aim is to be somewhere where he can demonstrate himself t- to be the, the best player in the world, um, where he can win multiple titles and where he uh, enjoys playing his football so um it's certainly a lot harder than Nasser Al khalifi thought it was going to be um when it seems to have gone through his head on why else why else say that publicly it seems to have gone through his head that if he built built the the Power Rangers team as uh, as we like to describe it on the on the transfer window podcast by by taking Messi to Paris Saint-Germain, it would be a simple decision for Mbappé. It is definitely not that.
0: The strange thing about this circumstance, Duncan, is that um, you mentioned that, you know, this is the greatest attacking force ever assembled in uh, in football. But
1: I, me- I mentioned Messi that Nasser Al-Khalifi thinks it's the greatest attacking force okay, ever sorry, assembled okay, in, right, in yeah, football. Okay,
0: But Messi is coming to the end of his career. Neymar is arguably in the prime, but definitely getting to the cusp of the end of his career. And Mbappé, of the three, is definitely the most valuable and talented in terms of what he can produce and what he will produce in the future. And yet he's the one who's going to be leaving.
1: Well, of of his own volition, if he leaves, it's of his own volition. It's not that Paris Saint-Germain want to lose the player. Absolutely the opposite. Um, You say Neymar at the prime of his career. Look, I think we highlighted on the podcast a couple of years ago when Lionel Messi on receiving, I think it was a Ballon d'Or, it might have been the FIFA World Player of the Year award, gave an interview in which he talked about how it was getting harder every year how football was more physically and mentally demanding and he didn't know how long he was going to carry on for and and i think we see that in messi's play now he you know while he is still sublime he is not the same physical force he was in terms of ability to run um burst of pace when receiving the ball um which if you, you know, you talk to people who, who watch Barcelona carefully and 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 operate at the highest level of of European football, they'll say that Messi's still capable of scoring three, four, five goals against mid ranked teams and lower ranked teams. But when it comes to the really important games against the top sides, he doesn't do it as often as he used to and and is in decline. And Messi kind of highlighted that with his own words. Neymar very recently gave an interview in which he said he thinks the next world, his next World Cup will be his last World Cup. Why? Because he doesn't have the, the, the sense of it was the mental energy to deal with football anymore, any further um, beyond that World Cup. Um, not to say you will retire after Qatar but he doesn't see himself playing another World Cup in in four years time. Um, so then again you have that indication from one of the elite players who's on a huge salary at Paris Saint-Germain that in his head his time with football is coming towards an end and, and I think once you have that indication from a player it tells you at, at present that the output you're getting from them at the moment, is not going to be as good as it was. So I think you're right to highlight that um if there's one of those three you want to keep, it's Mbappe. But also, I think that 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 tells you one of the problems Paris Saint Germain have in building this squad the way they've done, and and why I would disagree that it's the the greatest attacking force of all time. Neymar doesn't run. He doesn't do defensive work. He doesn't contribute to the rest of the team. Messi hasn't run and contributed defensive work on a regular basis to the rest of the team for a few seasons now. So you're already two men down um, and there are other players in that that Paris Saint-Germain squad who don't like to do or aren't capable of doing as much running as they used to be. Sergio Ramos being one of those. Now, that's fine in the French league when you have so much more resource than everyone else. Where it matters is in the Champions League. It's very hard these days to win at the top level of the Champions League without pretty much everyone putting full effort in. Um, and And that is also important to Mbappe's decision. He doesn't like the organisation of the club. He doesn't, I'm told, feel that from a footballing perspective, it's the best place to be.
0: This being the second podcast of the week, you know what that means. It means the Donkey Award is going to be presented. And I'm just going to open the golden envelope here. If you had had prior knowledge, which of course we don't do because that would be um, inappropriate, uh, you would have had a win win on a betting market for this particular Donkey Award. And that's because it's the Josie Mourinho Snowplow Award uh, for Killing Your Players. <laughs> and the three nominations uh, are from Jose Mourinho himself. Uh, I'm going to ask Duncan to choose his favourite or best uh, of the um, examples of when Josie has decided to snowplow right into Some of his players, sometimes individuals, sometimes entire teams, Uh, having lost 6-1 to Bodo Glimt uh, uh, at Roma this week. uh, He protested that he had 12 or 13 great players, but not a good squad. So uh, instead of parking the bus, he's thrown them under it. there's also the example of, uh, well, I'll just say two words, Duncan, because I think you and everyone else in the podcast knows uh, what happened. And those two words are Luke Shaw. And uh, going back to his time, his first uh, period at Chelsea, uh, there was the infamous quote about if you buy your exit at Waitrose, then you get a good omelette. But if you buy them elsewhere, then you can't expect the same quality. And that was in respect to the club's lack of purchase of a quality centre-half, in his opinion, at Chelsea at that time. So, uh, Duncan, I'm going to leave it to you to decide on which of Jose's best uh assassinations let's just say it um, yeah, wasn't the just a centre half um, Tal Ben
1: Haim I remember that, uh, that high quality signing that uh, Roman Abramovich it was Tal upon yeah it was Jose Mourinho in that uh, that uh, final season of his first period in, tar- in charge of Chelsea but also midfield with your uh, your good friend Stephen Sidwell um, signed to uh, to bolster Ah, uh, <laughs> I I want ginger um, hair too. I, I think that was the most most stylish of them, uh, the best uh, metaphor with the 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 waitrose eggs. Um, the Luke Shaw one, where he uh, talked about how um, when Luke Shaw had one of his better performances for Manchester United during the period Mourinho was in charge, and and there weren't very many good ones. Talked about how uh, Mourinho had had provided the brains for Shaw to be in the right place on the pitch at, at, the, at the right time. Um, something that was taken badly by Shaw and, and something which has um, been presented in many corners as uh, Luke Shaw's revenge in, in terms of how he performed last season, uh, being voted as as the Premier League's left back of the year and being... And, uh, uh, being compared to Roberto Carlos for his performances for England. Um, yeah, I think there are quite a few people in football would question to what extent Luke Shaw has improved uh, as a defender during that period, um, regardless of the improvements in his attacking play. And certainly there seems to have been a bit of reversion this season to the Luke Shaw we became familiar with in the past in terms of uh his ability to get around the pitch and and the amount of uh weight he, he seems to be carrying again I was I was talking to someone this week who said he'd been watching Manchester United game in which uh Luke Shaw fell to the floor and and he expected them to start rolling like a football um given the uh the the, the roundness of his of his his body at the moment but I I think I'll give it to the to the last Nights, um, snowplow in Norway uh, after the the worst defeat of Mourinho's storied managerial career, losing 6 1 to Bodo Glimpt. Um, as always, I think what Mourinho said was reasonably accurate. It was a reflection of how he feels about his squad and, and having moved to Roma. Um, what I'm hearing is he's, he's very happy being back in Italian football, uh, enjoying the response he's got from the supporters, enjoying the the respect he gets from the Italian football audience there in contrast to how he was dealt with in, in England in, in the latter years of his time there, but has come to the conclusion quite rapidly that, that Roma's squad is not strong enough to win major trophies. And it's going to take a while and significant investment from the freaking family to sort that out. So, when he complained about having a a very good team, um, but not a very good squad, that is exactly how he felt going into the game. It wasn't a a particular excuse in response to the defeat. But uh, I don't think it was a very clever thing to say Um, and uh, may well end up putting additional pressure on him going forward. And I think also important to see how how the players respond. Um, because those kind of comments in the latter period of his career, and it's something Mourinho's talked about himself at Manchester United and at Tottenham Hotspur, um, resulted in difficulties within the dressing room and, and made the job harder for himself. Something we talked about during the the latter stages of it of his Tottenham. Um Spell in charge, and when we broke the story that uh, that Tottenham were preparing to replace him ahead of uh, ahead of other media,
0: I'm just thinking that Golden Blimp <laughs> could be an acronym <laughs> for Luke Shaw. Um, however, that's a that's a whole different story. Uh, this has been the Transfer Window Podcast where we have brought you the news before it becomes news. Uh, please engage with us on our social media platforms. We are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Duncan individually is on at Duncan Castles and I'm at Garbo SJ. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, just search on the Podcast and we will be back with you next week so until then thanks for listening <laughs>